0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In 2005, immigrant entrepreneurs launched 52% of all startups in Silicon Valley. But today, the number has dropped to 44%. America is not only losing the opportunity to create new jobs, but also losing its competitive edge, argues Vivek Wadwa in his short, passionately argued book, The Immigrant Exodus, why America is losing the global race to capture entrepreneurial talent. Unlike during the 1980s, when skilled immigrants could get green cards that let them become permanent residents of the U.S. in as little as 18 months, today it can take as long as 17 years. Failure to fix this problem, says Wadwa in an interview with Knowledge at Wharton, is killing American innovation and entrepreneurship.
1: Vivek, thank you for joining us today. It's good to be here, Mukul. To begin with, I wonder if you could tell our audience about your own immigrant experience, and what role that played in shaping your research and your book.
2: Right, Mukul. I was in um, New York in the '60s as a, as a child. And being in America is quite an experience. uh, I left here in the late 60s, but I'd always wanted to come back. And the first chance I got was in 1980 when my father got transferred to to the uh, consulate in uh, New York City. And um, I joined Xerox, and within a year and a half of coming here, I was able to get a green card. In my mind, the day I got my green card, I became an American. I started thinking like an American, behaving like an American, working like an American, and there was no other country for me in the world. It was that easy. A decade after coming here, I ended up founding my first company. The company grew to, um, you know, to the point it employed 1,000 people, and it was a big success. We took it public, and you know, it, was, it was a wonderful success. And then I started another company, which employed almost 250 people. So I was able to do all this because it was so easy to become an American in the 80s if uh, you had the right skills you can't do that anymore and this is what the problem is that now i teach at uh, duke stanford and uh, be taught at berkeley and harvard and so on and i hear the same horror stories from my students over and over again that they uh, want to stay they can't get a visa um, and then, then others come and t- start talking about their friends that they the fact that their friends have gone home and that they're, they're, they're doing really well back home and they said we'd, we'd like to stay here to get a couple of years of experience they apply for jobs companies won't hire them because they need H-1B visas, and they aren't H-1B visas, or the companies don't want to get the, um, go through the negativity of um, being associated with H-1B. So it's sort of lose-lose, and the result is that um, skilled people are leaving America in droves. If I had come here now i would have been stuck in immigration limbo like my students are like the entrepreneurs over here are i would never have started a company i would never have competed and i would never have competed, contributed to american competitiveness i would never have been able to do anything for this great country if i was coming here today and that's what the book is all about
1: so why do you think that the experience of skilled immigrants today is so different than yours
2: was because when i applied for my green card there was no backlog. There was no delay in, in visa processing. I simply had to go through the labor certification process, which showed that uh, I wasn't taking the job in, of an American away. And then immediately I got my uh, my green card. The whole process was as easy as could be. Today, the problem is that, uh, first of all, there are no H-1B visas for, for for people to come here and work for American companies. And then once... Uh, you start the process for a green card, there are no green cards available. That the, the the queue for green cards is so long that if you're an Indian or a Chinese, it takes decades. So what happens is that you decide that you're gonna become, you want to now become a permanent resident, your company files for you, and um, it takes a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, sometimes 17, 20 years, that you're just stuck in in, in, you know, in limbo waiting for that green card. The problem is that once you have started the process of a green card and you've done the labor certification, which means that you've now proven that you're not taking the job of an American away, you're stuck in that same job. You can't change jobs. So in that five or ten or fifteen years, you can't go from being a program analyst to being a project manager. You can't go from, from being a writer to being an editor. You can't go, you can't really change jobs. You're stuck in the same grunt job that you had when you started the process. So people waste their lives right now in in, in the same tedious jobs that, uh, that they had before. One of the things
1: you point out in your book is that skilled immigrants play a huge role in the U.S. economy. I wonder if you could outline the major contributions to job growth and intellectual
2: capital formation. So you know, after I became an academic, one of the first research projects I did was to document the contribution of skilled immigrants, because I had a hunch that there were many other people like me who were making a big contribution to U.S. competitiveness. First thing I did was I, I, did, you know, I researched all the research that had been done on this subject. And Annalise Saxian, who was then the Dean of Information, uh, Dean of the School of Information at Berkeley, had documented that in the 80s um, that a quarter of all the startups in Silicon Valley were founded by Indians and Chinese. Amazing research. I contacted her and I said, uh, you know, Professor Saxian, what's the latest on this? And she basically says that, look, her research is now a decade old and no one has updated it. Uh, her, her belief was that numbers had increased dramatically because a lot of anecdotal evidence indicated that immigrant entrepreneurship had increased quite significantly, but there was no up-to-date research. So I said, would you like to work with me on this research? And absolutely, she said, absolutely, I'd love to work with you on it. And we spent um, uh, you know several months revising all of We used the same methodologies, the same uh, 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 the same uh, data sets, and updated her research, and we were both shocked at what we found. What we found was that the trend that started in Silicon Valley had become a nationwide phenomenon, that from 1995 to 2005, a quarter of all the startups in America were founded by immigrants, by people like me, by people like you. And the, number, the proportion in Silicon Valley had increased to 52% that during the the, the days of the greatest economic growth in recent U.S. history, the the tech boom, 52 percent of startups in the most innovative land in America, the most innovative land in the world, were founded by immigrants, 52 percent. That was just mind-blowing.
1: Why and how did the immigrant startup machine begin to stall?
2: And what were the main reasons? Well, here's what happened after we published the research. I started getting emails from uh, I mean, the research made headline news uh, in fact, all over the world. they were It was featured everywhere. And then I started getting emails. Now I'd become a guru on immigration. So people started writing to me to tell me about their problems. Um, and, and then even my students started talking to me about their problems. And I started realizing that there's a there's, there's something wrong over here that uh, the new crop of immigrants is not able to do what I was able to do, which means join the workforce and become an American and become an entrepreneur when the time was right, that they couldn't do what I could do. So, so I went back to Anno, and, uh, and I said, Anno, um, what do you know about the backlog of immigrants? And she, she didn't know anything. So we teamed up with a professor from New York University, um, you know, uh, uh, Willie Hasso, and we decided to now uh, look into what had happened since the, uh, the late 90s and in, in, in the backlog. Willy was an ex-commissioner from the, for the immigration department, and she tried getting data on the backlog. She couldn't get it. So we decided to create our own methodology for estimating the backlog of immigrants waiting for green cards. And we were again stunned at what we learned, that there were one million skilled immigrants in their families waiting for green cards. One million. As of, as of October 26, I believe, uh, 2006, there were a million skilled immigrants in America waiting for green cards who we were stuck in limbo. You know, everyone was talking uh, about the unskilled immigrants, the undocumented workers, or the illegal workers, as, as, uh, you know, as some segments of America call them, who were in America illegally. I mean, um, there was a lot of talk about the illegals. But no one was talking about the legal-skilled immigrants who were stuck waiting for green cards. And I looked at the data, and I interviewed many people, and I predicted that there would be a, a massive reverse brain drain of talent. So we titled the the, the you know the paper, um, uh, immigration, intellectual property, and the reverse brain drain. And the title "reverse brain drain" created a lot of controversy. My co-authors felt uncomfortable with it because it was such a radical uh, uh, you know title to use in, in in an academic paper. But but they uh, you know they knew there was a problem, and they, they agreed to to leave it the way it was. And when we published that paper, it created major controversy because other academics started scrawning at the concept of a reverse brain drain. The emails I was getting, the discussion in, in uh, academic groups said that this is ridiculous. The US has never had a brain drain. The, the brain drain is a European phenomena. It's an Indian phenomena, it's a Chinese phenomenon. it's not an American thing. We don't have brain drains in America. Everyone laughed at it when that paper first came out. Today, no one, no one doubts it. Every, you know, almost every major publication has written about it. The, um, uh, the Indian press, the Chinese press, the Brazilian press, everyone is talking about the reverse brain drain. It's widely established that what we predicted is happening, that there's a massive reverse brain drain of talent right now from the U.S. to other countries.
1: The reverse brain drain is a trend that we see very clearly here on the UPenn campus. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what you think is driving it? And what some of the forces are that make it hard for skilled immigrants to stay on in America?
2: Because the first reason is that they can't get visas. It's that simple. When they apply for jobs, no one will hire them because um, there are no H-1B visas available in many years. Um, and and then employers worry about all the paperwork, the political backlash. So it's very hard to get a job. Um, you know, if you're a graduate of an, if you're a foreign graduate of an American university, that's number one. Number two their friends who went back home are doing really well back there, that they hear stories about, you know, going back and getting almost American— you don't get American salaries. You might get a half or a third of what you make over here, but for half a third of what you make in America, living in New Delhi or Bangalore or Pune or Shanghai, you can live a very good lifestyle. So they hear stories about how their friends have gone back and are doing very well. And then the mindset overall has changed, that, you know, when our generation came over here, uh, it used to be that uh, we came on one-way tickets that, uh, you know, our, our families back home would expect that they'll never see us again. If you, you know, if you, uh, you recall some of the most popular songs in India are ai Aiha. I mean, the Indian, <laughs> Indian listeners will will, uh, will relate to that. All these these sad stories about, um, you know, Indians who left and never came back and never saw their, their parents and, the, and their friends back and again. That used to be the norm. Now it isn't. Now everyone talks to everyone back home and they realize how good things are over there. You can live very good lifestyles back in India and China and Brazil and so on. So, so the mindset has completely changed. You no longer have to stay in America to be successful.
1: You referred to the first reason as being the visa system, the H-1B system. Could you, from your perspective, explain what's wrong with it and how can it be fixed?
2: Uh, the simple problem is that there aren't enough visas. It's that simple that there aren't enough green cards available for the hundreds of thousands of people who are waiting for these green cards. If we fix that one problem, we'll fix 80 percent of the problem. You'll still have the problem of opportunity back home. But, you know, if you're graduating from Duke or from Wharton in engineering, and now you're joining uh, a top American company, you're working, you plan to be here for two or three years, you tell your friends you'll come back in two or three years, you end up falling in love with America. You're doing good in your career. Why would you leave your job and go back to India when you're doing very well over here? So now two or three years becomes four or five years. In the meantime, uh, if you're a woman, you find a really nice-looking guy. You end up uh, you know, getting married. Uh, it happens the same with, with the guys. You end up becoming an American, and you, and you never go back. So the reality is if we just fix that one issue with the, the numbers of visas, the problem would likely fix itself. It's that simple.
1: What do you think are the main barriers to that problem getting fixed?
2: Politics, politics, politics. We heard both Mitt Romney and Barack Obama in the debates talking about the importance of skilled immigrants. They agree on it, but they won't pass legislation which, um, uh, you know, fixes the problem. There was a STEM Act that was uh, led by the Republicans, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, which was defeated because the Democrats felt slighted that the Republicans didn't talk to them properly to get their approval for this thing. And, And the Republicans wanted to take the diversity visas away. It's all sort of petty politics that get in the way the Republicans don't want to give the Democrats a victory. The Democrats don't want to give the Republicans a victory. So like spoiled brats, like spoiled teenagers, these, you know, these politicians are fighting each other. In the meantime, America bleeds. America bleeds competitiveness because our leaders are, are acting like juveniles. At the same
1: time, as you point out in your book, there are other places in the world, like Chile, for example, that are actively trying to recruit global talent. Do you think these efforts are succeeding? And what do you think the U.S. should do to respond?
2: You only have to go to Santiago to see the beehive of activity. uh, You know, Santiago is now associated with entrepreneurship. You go there to start up chile offices and you see dozens, uh, you see actually hundreds of startups over there. You see the same type of activity you see in Silicon Valley. Optimism, energy, excitement, innovation, they are bound in Santiago because of America's stupid policies. Now, I have to do full disclosure over here. I helped design the Startup Chile program because, I, you know, Chile was looking for a way of boosting innovation. I said, look, the easiest way of fixing your uh, uh, problem of not having enough entrepreneurship and innovation in Chile is to take advantage of America's stupidity. America's chasing away these immigrants, bring them here to Santiago and watch the magic that happens. Santiago, Chile, uh, Startup Chile is a huge runaway success right now because uh, Chile took the chance. They offered these entrepreneurs $40,000 to come there and just live for six months. The result is that they have a booming ecosystem. America doesn't have to bribe people. People want to come here anyway. People will give America money to come here. In fact, they'll bring their life savings with them when they come here. They'll bring tens of thousands of dollars of savings with them, and then they'll get their friends back home and all over the world to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in their startups for the right to be able to start their companies in America. So we have it made right now, except we're being stupid.
1: Vivek, you offer seven fixes to help reverse the immigrant exodus. Could you take us through them?
2: Um, I'm going to simplify them a little bit over here. First of all, we need to increase the number of visas. That That is the biggest hit over here. We need to have a startup visa, which means that anyone in the world that wants to start a company over here, if they come here and the company employs X number of Americans over Y number of years; they become eligible for a green card. And then we need to fix the problems of the visas themselves. These H-1B visas I talked about—they tie the worker to the employer, so it really is indentured servitude that uh, that the anti-immigrant groups, you know, um, uh, rally against. Uh, these visas are defective right now. The the visa should not be tied. The employer should not be tied to the company. What should happen is that if uh, a company wants to sponsor a skilled worker. Fine, the the worker is tied to the company for one year or two years, but after that, they're free to go to any employer that offers them a, a good salary. So, if we fix that visa, it would fix the imbalance, and it would fix the motivation of companies to take advantage of workers who are stuck in limbo. And then there's another problem uh, with the H-1B visa that the spouses of visas, the spouses of the visa holders can't work. Right now, women in Saudi Arabia have sometimes have more rights than the spouses of H-1B workers, which is really sad, that, um, you know, in some states they can't get driver's licenses, which means they can't drive. They can't open bank accounts. I mean, Is this America? I mean, this is ridiculous. So these are some basic defects with the visas themselves. And then there aren't enough visas available. Fix those and you fix America. You fix America's competitiveness. There's a lot, lot more in my book. I brought it to life by by showing stories of these skilled immigrants trapped in limbo and discusses in great depth. You know, uh, I encourage the viewers to read the book. There's a lot, lot more in it, and, and it'll really tell you one of the ways to fix America.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.